0: Hey everybody and welcome to the Five Bytes Podcast. I'm your host, Rory Monahan. The podcast as always is brought to you by my sponsors, Policy Pack Software, where you use group policy or MDM to remove admin rights, manage and lockdown applications, Java, browsers, and mitigate ransomware, plus more and also by liquidware the innovator in adaptive workspace management solutions and also of course by goliath technologies who help it pros be proactive and anticipate troubleshoot and prevent end user experience issues regardless of where it workloads or users are located if you enjoy the show each week you've these great sponsors to thank and now for some news In just a few days time, on October 5th, Windows 11 will begin rolling out to eligible Windows 10 PCs and will be for sale on a handful of PCs that will come preloaded with the operating system. While we are on the verge of Windows 11 becoming publicly available to the masses, at least according to a report from WindowsCentral.com, only 38% out of over 1,000 Windows users surveyed recently were aware of the upcoming Windows 11 upgrade. Now it is a tiny sample size of just over a thousand people, but I also don't recall seeing any of the promised Windows 11 is coming uh, pop-ups or toast notifications myself either. Microsoft officials are planning a phased rollout of Windows 11 between October 5th and mid-2022, so pretty staggered rollout, and they will make the operating system available to new devices first. The company plans to use intelligence models that consider hardware eligibility, reliability, metrics, and other factors to roll it out to additional in-market PCs. So I guess expect a lot of your employees and coworkers who might upgrade their hardware toward the end of the year, possibly after Thanksgiving in the US for the Black Friday sales or maybe around Christmas everywhere else. Well, not everywhere else, but some places. Uh, But you could expect maybe them to get new machines that are running Windows 11 at home in the coming months. So, So if you're supporting remote workers who use their own devices, you can anticipate that to happen. ZDNet reports that the Android apps within Windows 11 capabilities will be coming to preview but will not be immediately available with Windows 11 on day one. This week, Microsoft tweeted, quote, We're investigating an issue with multi-factor authentication that is preventing some users from accessing Microsoft 365 services. They indicated that the issue could potentially affect any user if they leveraged MFA and either the Network Policy Server or NPS or Active Directory Federation services to access Microsoft 365 services. The issue only affects on-premises users and cloud-hosted users are not affected. They said they identified 503 errors from specific processing components and were reviewing the errors to identify the source at the time. Now, oddly, at least at the time of this recording, while Microsoft confirmed that they discovered what the issue is and that it had now been resolved, they did not disclose a root cause. So interesting to think that people who are relying on that kind of on-prem MFA authentication were the ones affected. Maybe they'll disclose a root cause soon. But on the topic of Microsoft MFA, Ars Technica reported a newly discovered bug in Microsoft's Azure Active Directory implementation could allow single factor brute forcing of a user's AD credentials. And unfortunately and worryingly, these attempts will not be logged on the server. So it's reported that the error codes returned on authentication failures are sometimes not properly logged on the server side. And that could potentially aid an attacker in performing undetected brute force attacks by way of an organization just being unaware that these failed authentication attempts are even occurring, allowing that attacker to just try the brute force attacks over and over and as often and for however long they require. Ars Technica reports that Microsoft seems to consider this a design choice rather than a vulnerability. And as such, it remains unclear if or when the flaw will be fixed and organizations could remain vulnerable to stealthy brute force attacks, according to the publication. Yeah, as a user, you'd definitely like to think that failed attempts and successful events are being equally logged. So hopefully they do address this. BleepyComputer.com have reported that another complete exploit for the remote code execution vulnerability in VMware vCenter that was recently tracked as CVE-2021-22005 is now widely available and threat actors are currently taking advantage of it. So if you haven't patched against this vulnerability yet, you better get on it right away. And if you're wondering what the hell vulnerability I'm talking about, other than giving that CVE, catch up on the last few weeks' episodes of this podcast because I dive into more details on that vulnerability. Leapy Computer also reported this week that Microsoft have added a new exchange server feature called Microsoft Exchange Emergency Mitigation that automatically applies interim mitigations for high-risk security flaws to secure on-premises servers against incoming attacks and give administrators more time to apply security updates. They report that it works by detecting exchange servers vulnerable to one or more known threats until the security update is available for admins to install. Mitigations applied automatically through the service are temporary fixes until The update that fixes the vulnerability can be installed and are not intended as replacements for Exchange security updates. And once installed on an Exchange email server, the service can apply three types of mitigations. One, IIS URL rewrite rule mitigation, which is a rule that blocks specific patterns of malicious HTTP requests that can endanger an Exchange server. Two, Exchange Service Mitigations, which disables a vulnerable service on an exchange server, and three, App Pool Mitigation, which disables a vulnerable app pool on an exchange server. Admins can disable the new service if they don't want Microsoft to apply mitigations to their exchange servers automatically, and they can also control applied mitigations using PowerShell commandlets and scripts, which allow viewing, reapplying, blocking, or removing mitigations. Dell have added new features to their pro support suite for PCs that will allow admins to update Dell BIOS drivers, firmware, and applications automatically, and importantly, remotely too. ZDNet reports the new tools also provide IT teams with a centralized platform to see their entire Dell PC fleet and monitor each device's health, application experience, and security scores. Dell will be offering an artificial intelligence powered service support software to provide suggestions based on detective performance trends. The new features will be available to customers by October 19th. Microsoft Teams Phone is getting improved spam call identification, Apple CarPlay support, and one-to-one call transcription and recording. Teams phone now also lets users transfer between different endpoints without interrupting their call. Users would just need to open their Teams app on another device and the call will be transferred to it and then tap to just move the call over. This should be of interest to all now considering Teams will be ever present in Windows 11 from next week. And in a somewhat odd announcement, considering what I just said about Teams being rolled into Windows 11, Microsoft have announced this week that they're bringing a facelift to Skype. From the screenshots that I've seen in the Skype developer blog post, it appears they've completely changed the call stage, they've brought notification changes too, enhanced the search capabilities, and even introduced smart translations and more. I'm still a pretty big fan of Skype. I wish they'd maybe make things more secure so you don't get those bots and spammers on there. But personally, I think I would have preferred for them to just develop Skype further than bring in Teams. I find it a much more enjoyable product to use, but that's just me. In a really substantial announcement, Tim Mangan, who is pretty much the only developer actively submitting enhancements to the Microsoft package support framework, Has stated that he will no longer be submitting to the PSF repo and he will instead only provide enhancements via a forked version on his own repository. He said this is due to fixes that he has created and submitted in the past becoming broken by a change made that was out of his control and power. So I guess in order to protect the great work that he's doing he's going to have this forked repository where it's going to be more stable and he has control the first update has already been published by tim on his repository so if you're trying to package with msix you definitely want to check this out and i'll share a link to tim's blog where he covers why he made this choice it's pretty interesting to read and you'll find that on fivebytespodcast.com and a reference links for episode 196 version 1.2.2459 of the windows desktop client has been released included in this version is improved client logging diagnostics and error classification to help with troubleshooting they fixed an issue that caused the client to prompt for credentials a second time after closing an initial credential prompt window during subscription there's updates to teams for azure virtual desktop including reduced E2E latency and some performance issues by optimizing the GPU render path in the Windows desktop client, plus more. For full details, I'll share a link to the release notes and you'll find that with this episode. The ability to enable the Azure Data Lake Storage hierarchical namespace for existing accounts is now generally available to Azure customers. This ability to enable the namespace for accounts containing existing data allows those customers that are already benefiting from the cost and performance benefits of Azure Storage to gain even more benefit, according to Microsoft's announcement. This week, Dark Mode was introduced to the Cloudflare dashboard. It is in beta, but You can get to it by logging into your Cloudflare account, going to your user profile, and selecting dark under the appearance setting. Citrix and Nutanix announced a new stronger partnership for bringing Citrix VDI to Nutanix HCI in hybrid and multiple public clouds. Now, if you've been attending CUGC meetings over the years, Nutanix partnering and support for Citrix virtual apps and desktops on their HCI isn't necessarily new, but it appears this will be expanded to more scenarios. I saw that Chris Meller at Blocks and Files raised the question about what this could mean for Nutanix WeFrame, which provides VDI in hybrid and multiple clouds. I don't have any insider information on this, but there has been significant development put into WeFrame in recent years. I'd be surprised if it was being completely shelved in favor of this partnership, But who knows? Interesting nonetheless. And finally, in this week's news, I was thrilled to be interviewed by the Irish Independent newspaper on the topic of switching jobs during the pandemic. I wasn't the only one interviewed. The overarching topic was about has the pandemic made you want to quit your job to chase your dreams? And just kind of talks a bit about how people during the pandemic you know, realized they wanted to change their lives or change their priorities. And I just talked about how I reached the decision to jump completely out of my comfort zone into a marketing job with Control Up. It has been really awesome, but I don't know if I would have made that decision or made that leap if not for the pandemic and some of the things that had happened because of it. So I think I said in the interview that one of the things was, they brought out a pandemic unemployment payment in Ireland for those who were furloughed or fired during the pandemic. So they basically increased the unemployment from just under 200 euros a week to 350 euros a week. So I was looking at that and I was like, well, this is probably the best time to take that risk because if it doesn't work out and I'm just bad at the job and get fired, Well, 350 a week is a lot easier and more comfortable to live off of than under 200 euros a week. So that was a factor that emboldened me to take a risk. And it was cool to be able to share that with a very widely distributed newspaper in Ireland. And now, a weekly webinar. So this is a biggie on October 5th through October 7th, VMworld will be taking place. I've never actually got to go to VMworld in person. I have always looked at the catalog though to see what sessions we're going to be running. And I can say comfortably that at least in recent years, this year's event has the most EUC related content that I have ever seen for a VMworld event. And some of the great content will include that from my friends, Tom Fenton, and Trent and Tai, which teaser, if you haven't seen it on social media, they do some pretty interesting experiments with a laptop and a microwave. So check that out. Another one of my awesome control-up compadres, Vouter Kirsten, will also be holding a virtual V-Breakfast event for EMEA ahead of VMworld on the 6th. So if you'd like to do a virtual breakfast event, reach out to Vouter. He says it's open to everyone, and will take place from 8.30 to 10 a.m. Amsterdam time, which I think is Central European time. And now this episode, scripts, tricks, and tips. Azure Visualizer is a pretty cool PowerShell module that I discovered this week, and it lets you visualize and document Azure infrastructure. So you simply import the module and run a PowerShell commandlet, with the name of a resource group in your tenant. The resources are then plotted out on a really great looking chart, giving you kind of a view of the different dependencies and the flow of your resources. Very cool stuff. This week I saw that Ryan Mangan shared a really cool looking graph that shows the performance differences before and after image optimization that includes Azure Virtual Machines, Windows 365 and Server 2022 and machines that have CPU, architecture, OS, imperial disk, and optimization were all tested. And you'll see in the results and on the chart that Cloud PC was the lowest scoring and AMD after optimization was the highest. And this makes a lot of sense to me just based off of my own impressions from testing Cloud PC. Just even launching File Explorer to the root of C is a really rough experience. It, it seems to hang like it's a application with a single threaded process that's just getting absolutely throttled. But very interesting as well to see some of that disk performance. It's maybe not what you would expect. So check that out. This week I blogged for my buddies at Algiz Technology. That includes my video of using robotic process automation for automating application packaging and delivery. So I think this is a really cool use case. Robotic process automation is becoming a much, much more widely used and popular technology. So if you want to see how to apply it to an EUC use case, check out this blog post and video. And I'll share a link again with this episode, which is episode 196 on 5bytespodcast.com, as I do with everything that I talk about on each episode of the podcast. The awesome Steve Noel tweeted this week that if you're getting a five plus minute delay in Nutanix power actions on Citrix hosting connections are through Prism Element, you might need to set the turn off the display setting to enabled with a zero value. He stated that merely setting this within the master image does not stick. So that's pretty interesting. And there's a good discussion with Steve and others talking about the issue on Twitter as well that you can find Another cool PowerShell commandlet or script that I saw this week was PS drives that returns local and map network drives with a really nice custom formatting that looks awesome. Did you know that you can get Azure credits for use for your open source projects? So Microsoft is granting Azure credits to open source projects to help with their testing, builds and other development work. They say some projects, open source projects, are already participating in the program, including the FreeBSD, Alma Linux, Haskell, and SnakeMate. So if it sounds like something that you'd be interested in in developing your own open source project, you can apply. Finally, to end on a really cool PowerShell script for this week, I saw a great blog post that steps you through creating scheduled tasks on Windows with PowerShell. So I find the scheduled task UI. I mean, I'm familiar with it. I can do it in my sleep, but it is kind of messy and clunky that you got to go through so many windows to set your scheduled tasks. So why not just do it with a PowerShell script? Well, that's it for another episode of the podcast. Thank you all so much for listening.